All right, we were continuing today in our uh, series on our uh, emotional worlds. We've been doing a series here called uh, The Voice of the Soul, and uh, it's all just about uh, the huge part of us, which is our emotional worlds, and we've been working on this since uh, September, and just a, just a few more left, and uh, we'll move on to something else. But um, uh, last time I spoke, and thank you, Basil, for speaking on this last week. It was a really great message. You can always catch that on YouTube uh, channel or on YouTube uh, Google Podcasts. Uh, you can get a great message. Uh, last time I spoke, I spoke on dealing with difficult emotions, uh, those emotions that uh, we tend not to like in ourselves, like sadness and anger and uh, frustration and, and those kinds of emotions. And um, I want to continue on that theme for this week and next week. I know there are a little bit more kind of downer messages, but um, it is stuff that we have to work through in this world. And so we're going to talk about uh, the theme of lament today, actually. Now, we would hope that, at least I do, that life would always be happy. You know, uh, we, we just kind of have this idea and, you know, this land of opportunity and hopefully a land of happiness that everything will just be beautiful and that we'll grow up in the perfect family and, you know, have the perfect mom and dad and We'll have the perfect teenage years and just meet, you know, the, the best perfect friends in our teenage years. And, you know, then we're going to move out and we're going to meet the, the perfect spouse and we're going to have perfect kids and, and then perfect grandkids. And, you know, we're going to grow old together until we're 99 and we don't ever get sick or have any health issues all those years. And, you know, we don't even have to die because Jesus is going to come back when we're 99 and everything's just going to be wonderful. I mean... Don't you hope for that? <laughs> I do. I mean, we, we, we want that. But... Enter in real life. We know that doesn't happen. We know the truth of John 33, where it says, In this world you will have trouble. And you may be here today and you're going through uh, just a beautiful part of your life and things are falling together and they're moving forward and you feel happy and you could actually say you're living the dream. I just spoke to someone at the first of us who was just, their, their life is going very, very well. And I'm like, that is so amazing. Just bless you. And we want more of that. But in the 200 people that call this church their home, I know there are a lot of you who are at the end and are struggling and you're battling every single day just to get through. And we've got to realize that when we live out in community, that we need to be able to hold both of those realities where we rejoice with those who rejoice and we mourn with those who mourn. I mean, just this week, uh, a gal in our congregation, her best friend, best friend's uh, baby uh, drowned in a pool this week. Um, people who are dealing with relationship struggles. I mean, there is a, a gentleman in our church out of everybody I've met in my life who's got actually the most difficult story I've ever heard out of anyone I've ever met in, in my life. And, and we know that life has these moments of beauty and these moments of extreme tragedy. There are times when life can really kick us and our business doesn't turn out the way we want or our marriage isn't working the way we want or our emotional world isn't there or our kids are doing things that we don't want. I mean, in this world, we will have trouble. And in these times, we can feel disoriented. Uh, I mean not knowing which way is left and right or up and down, and it can be very disoriented when, when maybe you've hoped all your life that everything is going to work out beautifully, and all of a sudden, you know, the carpet's pulled out from underneath you, and it can be very disorienting. I mean, it's like years ago when I was 
snowmobiling at one time up way up in the mountains, and I was going to meet some people, and, and, the, and the fog rolled in. And I was above the tree line, and there were no points of reference. And I literally could not tell left from right, up from down. It was the weirdest feeling in the whole world. I spent hours just trying to get out. And it literally was started going up, and then you would start going ways you didn't know. And I ended up having to sleep in a cabin by myself at night because, I mean, you're just being disoriented. Sometimes when trouble knocks on our door, we, we can feel this way. And one of the ways that uh, the Bible helps us to get through these periods is something that the Scripture actually talks a lot about and gives us a lot of examples of, and that is the theme of lament. The theme of lament is what we're going to talk about today. Lament is basically when you feel and express emotional pain. That's kind of dictionary definition. But biblical lament is a little bit different as you see it in Scripture. Biblical lament is expressing our emotional pain in the form of songs, poems, cries, and words. Biblical lament oft, uh, also often contains an element of hope. And what you see in biblical lament is these Voices of extreme pain, but often in the midst of that pain, there's an arm that is reaching out and grabbing onto God for, for hope. And again, you might be in a joyful spot in your life, and you might be like, this is the last kind of message I want to hear today, but just, again, always remember that we're in community. And uh, this may not be the message you want to hear today, but there are other people who this is the message they need to hear. And again, learning to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who who mourn. Here are just some examples of lament. And lament is actually a big theme. And this is why we can't ignore lament. And sometimes we want to ignore it because it interferes with our dream of living, living the dream. But you know, one-third of the Psalms are lament. The entire book of Job is pretty much lament. The book of Lamentations is lament. A huge portion of our scripture contains lament, and God is telling us something through the inspiration of scripture that lament is actually incredibly important. And to push lament away out of your world or pretend that other people shouldn't um, uh, lament is, is to deny the inspiration of scripture. Just a couple of quick examples of lament found in the Psalms. Again, one-third of the Psalms are lament. It's Jesus' favorite book of the Bible. I'm worn out from sobbing. All night I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it with my tears. My vision is blurred by grief. My eyes are worn out because of all my enemies. Or Psalm 88, listen to my cry, for my life is full of troubles and death draws near. I am as good as dead, like a strong man with no strength left. They have left me among the dead, and I lie like a corpse in a grave. I am forgotten, cut off from your care. You have thrown me into the lowest pit, into the darkest depths. And a whole lot of our scripture is framed this way, is framed in lament. And uh, lament is quite important um, for number one, because it brings balance to the story, our story, to God's story, to the story of God's people. There is a, a tremendous pressure in our world and sometimes in the church to always be up, to always be 
that be living the most amazing life and have happiness just saturating every element of your being in your life. There's a tremendous pressure to be up. As one therapist said, she, she says, I increasingly see clients and friends struggling with self-contempt for not being happy enough, for not living up to the beer commercials. <laughs> Can create incredible shame in people. Uh, feeling that, you know, why am I not happy like I should be? And, uh, and you know, maybe there's something wrong with me, or maybe there's something defective about my faith. And this, this constant pressure to be up ignores the testimony of Scripture in terms of lament. And it ignores the struggle of, of average folks. I, I just read one little story about a pastor who, who wrote this. He says, after our daughter's stillbirth, I struggled going to church, and I was the pastor. It's not that people treated me unkindly or rudely. Rather, it seemed I wasn't on the same page. I felt as if there was no place for my pain. Sundays were filled with warm greetings and chipper small talk. Our congregational singing was upbeat and victory-oriented. Everyone seemed happy. However, my low-grade sadness and daily fight for hope created a minor key song in my soul, and it felt like I was singing a solo. And I've talked to folks sometimes who, who sometimes feel like they're, they're very alone and isolated because what they're experiencing doesn't seem to be seen on the faces of folks in the church. And because, I mean, we talked about this and did a couple of messages on spiritual bypassing. Again, we, we tend to want to hide our pain because we think that there's something wrong with it rather than actually living real in front of God, in front of each other. And so lament actually gives voice to the struggle of life and to the struggle of God's people. As Mark V says, when the tone of preaching and worship is only celebratory, we accidentally send a message that real believers don't struggle. And we all do. I do. You do. And there needs to be voice to that. There needs to be room to, to be able to share that without feeling like there's something wrong with my relationship with God. or there, to, to, to meet us and for God to meet us in there is very important. And this is why the scriptures are filled with lament. It's as if God is saying, it's okay. It is really okay to not be okay at some points of our life. Uh, secondly, lament is important because it creates room for our hurt to be processed, and we've talked about that enough, that, that research shows that if you suppress emotional pain, it doesn't go away, it just gets worse. Lament is important because it also prepares people for hardship. Because when someone in the community is able to share rawly what they're feeling, then Next week, when you're going through struggle, you can say, well, that person was going through that, and I heard their story, and I'm going to go talk to them, and it gives you, it gives you uh, the community to surround you, and, and it prepares you for hardship in your life. And, and again, the last thing I ever want for any of us is hardship. May God bless your finances. May God bless your business. May God bless your marriage. May God bless every single part of you that you never have to struggle. That is our hope and my hope, but Sometimes real life happens. The book of Job is one of the, the greatest examples of lament. And, uh, and sometimes, again, uh, we stay away from the book of Job. Sometimes we can stay away from the Psalms. We don't want to read Lamentations because we read it and just like, that is so depressing. Because <laughs> those books seem to challenge our dream of living the dream. And sometimes we stay away, but again, those books are very, very important. God placed them in our scriptures for a reason to give voice to the reality of the importance of lament. And if you know the book of Job, you meet a character who, initially, you read the story, he was living the dream. He had 
as much money as he could ever want. He had animals, flocks, servants. He had it all. He had sons and daughters. He had family. He had a home. He had his health. The, the, the book opens with him living the dream, but then real life steps in. The disaster strikes. He loses every one of his children, his sons and daughters. He loses his home. He loses all his flocks, all his animals. He loses everything, including his health. And he's in the pits. And in Job chapter 2, it says, When three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy he had suffered, they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. When they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. Wailing loudly, they tore their robes and threw dust into the air over their heads to show their grief. Then they sat on their ground with him for seven days and nights. No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. Sometimes it's just important to be with somebody. Sometimes there are actually not words to say. And sometimes when we are walking alongside someone who is grieving, we're always trying to think of what's the right thing to say. Sometimes you just need to be present. This is something Job's friends did right. Later on, we don't see they do everything right. But here, they're just sitting with him because he's lost everything. All his dreams are shattered and scattered. And they sit with him for seven days. And then after the seven days, the very next verse says this. After this, Job opened his mouth. After seven days of silence, Job opened his mouth. And what comes out of his mouth is lament. Job didn't have to open his mouth. And when we're struggling, we don't have to open our mouth either. I mean, Job could have, you know, just said, you know, screw this all. This is too hard. He could have gone out and committed suicide and not opened his mouth. He could have pushed his friends away and said, I didn't want to see your presence. I just, and just run, run off, you know, to just be with himself for the rest of his life. Job could have turn to, you know, alcohol to numb out his pains or whatever drugs they had in those days. I mean, he could have just gone to coping mechanisms to, 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 to hide from all that pain, but he doesn't. Job opens his mouth. And that's a good example of what we ought to do when we're struggling. Because it's so easy to do everything else. <laughs> but Job opens his mouth, and it's a powerful testimony that we ought to open our mouth, whether that's in writing a song or a poem or journaling, expressing that to God. And so what we see come out of Job's mouth is raw emotion. It is lament. This is what Job says. So at last, after seven days, Job spoke. The very first thing that comes out of his mouth is, says he cursed the day of his birth. He said, let the day of my birth be erased and the night I was conceived. Let that day be turned into darkness. Let it be lost even to God on high and let no light shine on it. Let the darkness and utter gloom claim that day for its own. Let a black cloud overshadow it and let the darkness terrify it. Why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? Why is light given to those in misery and life to the bitter soul, to those who long for death that does not come? The first thing that comes out of Job's mouth is, I wish I was never born. 
And we might be quick to try to step in and say, you know, Job, you got a lack of faith there. <laughs> That's not the right response. You should be praying for more faith. You should be trying to, you know, receive joy from God. You should be maybe trying to figure out what you did wrong, maybe, because maybe God's punishing you or whatever. I mean, we may kind of stay those things or think those things, but God, the first thing that comes out of his mouth is, I wish I were never born. And everything in us just wants to fix that. We don't want to read that. We don't want to make room for that. It's like, no, you shouldn't be thinking that way. That's horrible. That's terrible. It's a lack of faith. But it's in there. And if you think Job is alone, then think again, because some of the greatest people in the Bible have felt exactly the same way. And if many of you are honest with your life, there have been times in your life where you felt this too. We see Rebecca, just a minor one. She says, you know, I'd rather die than see Jacob marry one of them, but more seriously, Moses. He says, talking to God, the load is far too heavy. If this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. Do me a favor and spare me this misery. Moses is asking to die, just like Job. Elijah, he sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. Or Jonah, just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive. Or Jeremiah, he says, I curse the day I was born. May no one celebrate the day of my birth. I curse the messenger who told my father, good news, you have a son. Let him be destroyed like the cities of old that the Lord overthrew without mercy. Terrify him all day long with battle shouts because he did not kill me at birth. That I had died in my mother's womb. That her body had been my grave. Why was I ever born? My entire life has been filled with trouble, sorrow, and shame. And we might look at these folks and say, you know, they're wimps. You know, what's wrong with these people? Where is their faith? You know, but what we don't see is that God didn't remove this from the scripture. We don't see God jumping in and saying, no, no, actually, God has a purpose for you. God allows this to sit, allows this lament to sit. And if we think that these guys somehow lack faith, or I mean, we're talking about the, the greatest folks, Moses, Elijah, Jeremiah, the, the pillars of the Old Testament. And again, for many of you, not all of you, I know, but for many of you, if you actually examine some of the difficult times when everything is falling apart in your life, you can actually relate. And this may actually be giving you words to what you are feeling in that moment. This is lament. It is the rawest, ugly kind of form of just pouring out our emotions to, to God. And so we see that lament will consist of three things. First, it allows yourself to feel your sorrow. You can't control your initial feelings. I mean, neuroscience tells us that our initial feelings happen within, within nanoseconds. We can control where those feelings go through our thinking, but within nanoseconds, we're feeling something. And, and lament just allows us to express those feelings. And, and secondly, Lament is releasing unedited words and expressing that sorrow. And then third, it is reaching out and touching hope. And let's just touch on these last two things. So lament contains this releasing of emotions in an unedited way. And this is what we see. It's, it's just emotion that is not edited for theology or edited for, you know, is this the way I want to continue in my life? It, it's just raw. Like Job 3 again, why was I born dead? Why didn't I die as I come from the womb? Or in Job 30, terrors overwhelm me. My dignity is driven away as by the wind. My safety vanishes like a cloud. And now my life ebbs away. 
Days of suffering grip me. Night pierces my bones. My gnawing pain never rests. In his great power, God becomes like clothing to me. He binds me like the neck of my garment. He throws me into the mud, and I am reduced to dust and ashes. I mean, he's frustrated with God. And next week, sorry to say, we're going to do one more kind of downer sermon. We're going to talk about being angry with God. But Job is angry, and we see a lot of folks in the Bible angry with God, and what do we do with that? But, but this is lament. This, this is raw emotion. I cry out to you, God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. You turn on me ruthlessly with the might of your hand. You attack me, or Psalm 10, O Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide when I am in trouble? That's unedited. Because we could step in and start editing that and say, well, you know, that's not theologically correct, Job, and that's not theologically correct, David. You know, you know God's always with you, and you know, God has a plan for your life. And, but, but the Bible somehow, in the inspiration of Scripture, just lets this lament sit so that we can actually be honest with ourselves and so that God can meet us in, in that pain. It's, it's very unedited. And, and so uh, just encourage you to, like Job, to not close your mouth, but to open your mouth and, and journal to write a song, write a poem, to get that out, those raw emotions. And, and we might be thinking, like, isn't this just self-pity and a lack of faith that will end up in despair? I mean, this is miserable. But the Bible does let it sit. Again, a third of the Psalms, all of Lamentations, the whole book of Job, these are big books of the Bible, are dedicated to lament. And to ignore lament or to try to keep people from lamenting is ignoring the, the inspiration of Scripture and the weight of those books in the Scripture. To deny lament is to deny huge portions of our emotional world and huge portions of Scripture. And lament actually leads us towards God. I mean, sometimes we think that if I lament like this, that it's going to keep me from God because my, maybe my thinking is not in line with that in the moment. But when you read about lament in Scripture, it actually always leads people towards God. I mean, where did it lead Job? He had the worst tragedy you could ever imagine fall upon. He's lost everything. And he's crying out in lament. He's angry at God. He's wishing that he was never born. He's trying to defend himself against his friends. And he wants to, 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 to talk to God. And, but at the end of the book of Job, he meets God. And he has a conversation with God. Which many people of his day were probably, I wish I could have a conversation with God. Job had a conversation with God. And it's recorded for us that his lament led him to a conversation with God. And you look at lament in the scripture, and often it's leading people towards God. And one of the reasons is that lament actually takes great faith. See, we may be tempted to look at Job when he's, or Jeremiah, or Moses, or Elijah, when they're wishing they would have died at birth. We say, you have no faith. I mean, you have no faith in the future of what God wants to do. You might say that. But lament actually takes great faith. And the reason is, is because it requires vulnerability. Vulnerability takes incredible faith. And, and Basil talked a little bit about, about that last week. But if I'm going to be vulnerable with you, it's risky. It means I got to step out in faith that if I, if I do that, I'm not going to be rejected. If I step out in faith that you're still going to love me and then you're not going to abandon me. To be vulnerable requires very, it requires risk and faith. It's very easy to hide emotions. It's very easy to keep it, keep it in there, pretend like those aren't there. I mean, that doesn't require any faith at all. And so too with God. 
It's easy to pretend, you know, God, I have it all together, and God, I don't ever think about, you know, this or that. I'm not sad, and, you know, I don't think those thoughts. But that's easy. But when you're actually vulnerable and say, God, I wish I was never born. God, I am so angry at you in this moment. God, I'm, I'm frustrated with my life, and I'm frustrated with that person, and you know, I have these bad thoughts rolling around in the back of my head. When you're actually able to be vulnerable, that is faith, because you're being vulnerable with, with who you are, and you're reaching out to God, and it's amazing how God can reach into your vulnerability and just love you and experience, you can experience Him like never before. And this is what vulnerability does. You know, if you ever studied Brene Brown on vulnerability, that vulnerability leads to intimacy. And it's the same with God. When you're able to be vulnerable, there's this amazing intimacy that happens with God. And so lament is actually a, a huge step of faith to step out in lament. But biblical lament also has this idea of hope. I mean, for the follower of Jesus, who is surrounded by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in perfect love, and in perfect unity, I mean, there's never to be a moment where we are without hope. And this is the, an interesting thing about lament, is always reaching towards hope. Now, there is one psalm, Psalm 88, that is lament all the way. There isn't an ounce of hope in the whole psalm, and there are times when we can't find any hope. But most of the lament psalms have this picture of hope. It's like, it's like John 16, 33, where we, we read, in this world you have trouble, period, but we don't stop there. In this world, we have trouble, we lament, we pay attention to our feelings, we invite God into that trouble, but we don't stop there because Jesus says, take heart, I have overcome the world. We are connected to the overcomer. We ourselves are overcomers because we are absorbed into the, the triune God. As it says in first, first, uh, first, uh, thir thirsty. first Thessalonians 4, do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. doesn't say not to grieve. We are to grieve, but we don't grieve without hope. Because no matter where we are or where we find ourselves, there is always, always hope. And this is the, the beautiful picture of lament, like Psalm 42, where we, it begins with lament. Day and night, I have only tears for food. Verse 4, my heart is breaking. But then in verse 5, it reaches towards hope as he says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him. And that is biblical lament. When you're, you're, just, you're honest, I'm crying, I'm broken, and I, can't, I can't find left from right, but I'm reaching to you, God, because I know you are there. Or Psalm 56, people are hounding me. This is lament. My foes attack me all day long. I'm constantly hounded by those who slander me, and many are bodily attacking me. But when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. As Jerry Bridges says, trust is not a passive state of mind. It is a vigorous act of the soul by which we choose to lay hold of the promises of God and cling to them despite the adversity that at, some, uh, at times seeks to overwhelm whelm us. And just to finish, <laughs> I mean, as followers of Jesus, who are intimately connected with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I mean, we, we always have hope. I mean, the resurrection tells us that, that God can work the impossible. 
And it's very easy when we're in lament to catastrophize everything and think that everything is just going to be horrible all the way. But, but the resurrection reminds us that impossible things can be changed. Dead men don't rise, but Jesus did. There may be things in your life that you're lamenting over because they seem to be dead. It could be that that is going to be resurrected. Where there is no life, there may be life. And so again, in that lament, we hope for those miracles. We hope for God to step in, and that gives us hope through lament. We also hope because we understand that the resurrection of Jesus means presence. And you know what? Sometimes we want more than for God to take away the pain. Sometimes more than God taking away the pain, what we want is just someone to be there with us. We want presence. We want someone who sees us and someone who hears us and someone who loves us no matter what we tell them. That is what we want in our pain, and God is that for us. There is no disconnection between you and God. He's invited you in to experience Him in the same love the Father has for Jesus, the same love the Father has for you. There is presence, and in that it gives us hope, and the resurrection of Jesus means the future is always bright. Because even if that miracle doesn't come, your future is looking amazing. <laughs> it's looking so bright. It's, 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 it's glorious because one day, every single thing in this universe will be defined by the love of God. No more crying, no more tears, no more brokenness, no more putting our identity in the wrong spots, no more, you know, you know, insecure attachments in her life. I mean, no more coping mechanism. It's just going to be, everything is going to be defined by the love of God. So Father, I thank you that you give us hope in the midst of this broken world. I got to thank you. You have given us permission to not be okay at times, to express those raw emotions because, God, you're not afraid of them. To express those raw, raw emotions, God, because you want us to be vulnerable and you want us to be open as possible with you. And I, and I thank you that you meet us there. God, and I thank you for all of our future. <laughs> that our future is looking beautiful. <laughs> that our future is looking bright. And we look forward to that day. But in the meantime, God, we hold on to you. And we look forward to all the beautiful little things that you do in our lives each and every day. God, we just lay ourselves down again and love you.